What's up, guys? We're going to choose podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. Here, joined by Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing well, Solomon. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Have you recovered from your COVID bout? Are you doing all right now? I feel pretty good, but I tested today on the day we're recording this. I still tested positive for COVID. So my my full days, I'm good. Looks like I'm going to be in quarantine for the full ten days. But um, I feel I'm very thankful for how I feel at the moment because I feel fantastic probably just a very good endorsement slash reminder to get vaccinated and boosted okay and was that a pcr or a rapid they were they're both rapids i just don't i work i work from home so i don't really see the it's so tough to get a pcr yeah where i am like you're waiting in line for for hours and that seems to defeat the purpose in the middle of january for me to wait online outside and since i'm not going anywhere anyway it's easy to quarantine I got you. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. I they really shocked me yesterday. I asked you to record, and you're like, "Hold on, I have COVID, so I might not be able to record." And I was like, "Oh, you yeah." Have then COVID. I was like, "You know what? I scheduled. I already did at the peak of COVID. I did like two radio interviews. I don't even know how I got through them." Uh, and I was feeling pretty good when you like DM me. So I was like, "Why wouldn't you just do this? It's Salman. So I'm happy to be here." Well, I'm happy you made the time. I'm happy you made the time. I, I would have had no objection to you like turning me down because you had COVID. Um, so before we get into this, uh, into why I brought you on the show today, Dan, I want to talk about a couple of things. First, I have a question for you. Why do people nationally care about John Wall so much? Like, good God, I, I get asked about him all the time, like on and off the record. And it's like, dude, the situation has not changed. It's stagnant. He wants to play, but not in the bench role the Rockets want him to play in. Like, it's pretty simple. That core fact hasn't changed since training camp. And also, nobody here locally seems to care because it's not like a story. And I'll be frank, I don't care. And as it pertains to the Rockets, which is the team I cover, John Wall is frankly irrelevant towards what they're trying to do or their future because bearing a complete surprise, they're not going to be able to trade him this season. So unless he agrees to a buyout after the deadline, he's probably going to finish this season in Houston. So nothing is going to change. It's just a strange, it's a stranger reach, like an arrangement that they've conjured up. Like I'll admit that up front. But it's also not casting a shadow on the team. He's friendly with everyone. He's not a problem in the locker room. Why do people still seem to care about this story, Dan? I honestly didn't know people still cared about it because I don't care oh, about it. Oh, they do. I, I get asked about him all the time. I guess, look, if you don't follow the Rockets, maybe you find John Wall, the situation there, more interesting than talking about you know the development of Alperin Shangun or, or KJ Martin or... Like me, if you're complaining that Usman Garuba should have an actual role on this team, but I that would be my only basis for it because there's there's really nothing doing with trade talks anywhere in the NBA. Even going on podcasts and radio shows, getting asked about Ben Simmons, that's the name I get asked about continuously, and it's like nothing's happening, not yet. Like, and I, I'll still be surprised if it doesn't the deadline. But I don't like talking about. I love coming up. If you want to come up with offbeat, new, fresh trade ideas. Love it. Here for it. I don't need to rehash the same conversations over and over again when nothing has changed. And the John Wall stuff just isn't even on. My, no one's trading for that contract. It's just nobody it's this season. Yeah, it's not happening. So I haven't even thought about John Wall. And I don't. That's not an insult to John Wall. He's not playing and he's not going anywhere. So why would I think about John Wall? And like, there's this whole story written midseason uh, from SI that I saw about how why aren't the Rockets playing John Wall? Well, it's like they've clearly they've clearly told you why they're not playing John Wall. Like he he does not want to come off the bench. It's pretty clear. Like like they want they're they're open to him playing, but they want to see what Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green have as a starting backcourt duo. 
So they want John Wall to come off the bench. And, you know, he doesn't want to do that. So so this is what they've come up with. Like, I don't understand why it still, like, continues to come up. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because, like, when people think about the Rockets, they, like, that's the one storyline that first comes to their head right away. I just don't understand why that's the first one. Yeah, look, I thought it was egregious when they weren't playing him until we found out that this was an issue he didn't want to be in a role, like a minimized role, and he wanted to start. And so I'm like, okay, dude, it, like, it doesn't, first of all, the whole starter designation, it doesn't matter. It just, it doesn't matter. Uh, but once we found out that he just wasn't willing to accept a certain role, then it was like, okay, this isn't, you know, uh, them shutting him down against his will. All right, one more question before we get into the good stuff. I think if you're going to choose to cover the Rockets from a national perspective this season, which I completely understand if you choose to ignore them, right? Like that's completely <laughs> like reasonable. But if you choose to do so, I think the biggest storyline this season is obviously the progression of their young talent uh, that they have accumulated. Uh, I guess we can start with Jalen Green and Alperen Shingun because to me, those are their two building block pieces. And the Rockets front office knows that. They took Green second in a pretty stacked draft class uh, and they they were intent on taking him second for like two weeks up into the draft, right? Like they didn't say that publicly, but everybody knew they were going to take green and they traded two first round picks for Shangun. And from what I understand, they called like 10 teams to try and trade up and move to move up to take him. So they obviously believe in him as well. And they've both shown flashes of cornerstone potential, but they obviously have their warts. I think defense is obviously going to be a work in progress for both of them. For Green, he's got to build out his body and lock in more like focus-wise. And for Shangun, he's got to learn how to defend without fouling and work on that conditioning because it's apparently a bigger issue than I thought it was. He talked about it with some Turkish media outlet, and it got transcribed uh, that they're trying to build him up to play more minutes. But what have you thought of those two players through their first 25 games of NBA action? Jalen Green's tough just because he missed so much time, but he, I think, I think his shot creation is eventually going to be fine. And you already mentioned that he probably needs to get stronger. And so I would agree with you there. I think he's going to end up being really good, even though he's kind of fallen by the wayside when you talk about these other rookie discussions. Alperin Shangun, I thought he should have been playing more minutes if conditioning's an issue. I mean, I get it. He's a rookie, I suppose, but we are like halfway through the season at this point. It'd be nice if they could have built up his minutes more to where um, even during his previous 10 performances, he was still at sub. 22 minutes per game, but the passing is tantalizing as advertised. Uh, he's a little bit quicker, both on defense and offense. than I thought with his feet, I know you said he fouls too much on defense, but, but I've, there's just been some moments, whether he's backpedaling or having to move east to west, I was a little bit impressed with how well he can move. And he does need to do it more consistently, but he seems like someone who's going to end up being rock solid to really good for, for quite a long time in the NBA and, and defense, how he holds up in terms of his mobility feels like it might be like the swing skill for him in terms of just how good will he be? Like, what's the ceiling on this guy? And look, I know you didn't mention him, but I really just want to see more of Usman Garuba. Like, I'm not going to watch. I'm not <laughs> going to watch the guy. game. This is That's your my guy. guy. Um, so Josh Christopher was able to, to carve out more minutes at one point. Why can't Usman Garuba get a shot outside of crappy garbage time? That's all I want to know. Well, it does seem like he's really bad offensively. <laughs> like the, the, I don't the, care. I'm just trying to explain their reasoning. So, when I watch him, he looks like more of a project than I think anybody would have imagined. Like, you know, you thought he's coming from the ACB. Uh, that's one of the best. That's the second best league in the world. That's probably he's probably going to be more polished than these other rookies. And he's just not. He looks really rough right now. Uh, it's it's really d like difficult to justify playing him, even in garbage time. He has not looked good. 
Uh, I think I think he's going to be someone that's going to require some seasoning with the Vipers. And I, I, I did not expect that, to be honest. I thought he was probably going to play more garbage time than he has. But uh, I, more and more, the more and more I watch him, I'm like, okay, I think I understand why why they're not playing him. I, I think I understand why um, he's in the position he is he's in with the rest of the roster. It does, look, if I would say if KJ Martin wasn't playing so well, then I could probably have like a, a larger argument to stand on. But, and I know that reps in the NBA aren't necessarily equated to development, but I do think it's important when you're, you know, at the stage that the Rockets are, are they cut everyone loose? And so I would like to see more of him. And that's probably just selfish because I'm not, like I said, I'm not watching G League minutes. And it didn't take them a really long time to even send him to the G League in the first place. That was it, it, it did. That it was did. Surprising. That that's that to me was what was egregious. It's like okay, so if he's not going to play, then why is he in the G League? And and they eventually did sign him to the G League, so I, I I don't really have a problem with what they're doing right, with him right now. I'm just going to take an issue until he leaves them in minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, here's the thing. I think the way he succeeds in the NBA is he becomes a good screen and dive guy, or he becomes a good shooter because otherwise he has nothing to offer offensively right now. Right, he's not a good ball handler. Like all those things are going to take some time for him to develop. So I think th- those two areas are what I'm going to be what I'm be watching for with him. He's not he's not a good passer yet, obviously either. So like he has to he has to really just he has to get a jump shot, or he has to become this you know not not a Clint Capella not a Clint Capella type, but at least some sort of screen and dive game, so he can be valuable on the offensive end, and they can justify playing him some small ball five. He need you know who he needs to watch on offense. This is going to sound weird, but Gary Payton the second with what Golden State has him doing. They use no, him I, as a, I see that. a lot, yeah. and they know where to put him on the floor when he doesn't have the ball. That's someone that... Actually, that's someone Russell Westbrook should watch too, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Russell Westbrook, okay. Um, so what about some other players? You can go anywhere you want with this, like Josh, Christopher, KJ Martin, Kevin Porter Jr., Dacia Nix, Trevlin Queen, uh, whoever. Like From that group, I personally really love Christopher and Martin. I think Christopher looks like a late first round steal for Houston and Martin was clearly overqualified to be the 52nd pick in last year's draft. And that much has become clear, not only this season, but last season Porter jr. I could see becoming a solid third guard in the NBA. Uh, some people seem to be higher on him than I am, but like whatever, I, th- I still think he's gonna be a good player. Everyone else on that list is pretty much up in the air. Here's the harsh reality that you and I both know from following the league. Not all those players I just, I just listed are going to be in NBA uniforms in four years. Like some of those players are going to wash out of the league, end up uh, in leagues around the world in, you know, vying for G League spots, whatever. But who, who in your opinion, has the best chance to stick around and be real contributors for Houston long term? Uh, am I allowed to say Garrison Matthews? <laughs> Garrison Matthews. So here's, here's the thing. I, I, I almost listed Garrison Matthews and Jay Sean Tate on that list, but they're both too old, I would say, to be qualified as young players. What are your thoughts on that? Is 25 to 26, is that still considered young? I didn't know we were focusing. I thought we were just focusing on unfinished products, but 25 is still young. Um, Okay. I mean, look, Garrison Matthews only been in the league for two years, right? This is his third season, so... Something like that. He played with the Wizards, and he got... So the the two way contract he got with uh, Boston, which Houston eventually picked up off waivers, was actually his third two way contract. And he never he needs to fire his agent, even the deal he signed. I'm sorry, that <laughs> well, was he well, no, so, have had a two- 
the, the story the story no i'm sorry no i you, you i if you, if you didn't hear the story i completely understand why you would say that the story is that he after that third after he got offered that third two-way contract he was considering retiring and doing something else and his agent actually convinced him to stay and told him that if you sign this two-way contract you'll find a spot in the nba someday so actually i i think his, his agent did some did some good work there otherwise we, we might not be seeing him right now he shouldn't have been in a position where you need to sign a two-way cut. Like your agent is doing a poor job if what he did in Washington wasn't worth a flyer contract, like above a two-way, non-guaranteed for the season or something. And then what I also don't like, I hate these deals. And if you're, you know, you care about their books and stuff, you love, you love the four-year control they have on him now. But like this is just, I find, <laughs> I find those so egregious. Um, was it four years? A little bit over eight million they can have him for now, and yeah, it's this so is cheap. just. The type of gravity he provides as a shooter, that's just, it, it's its ridiculous to me. And this is, you know, maybe it's, it's a shame on his agent. I don't know how the rest of the NBA let him fall through the cracks that far. Um, I think he's second, by the way. This doesn't really have anything to do with it, but it kind of does. I think he's second in the league in end one three-pointers this season. So, like, this dude is just, he's incandescent. And someone like that had a place in the NBA on better than a two-way contract and showed enough. This isn't me trying to write revisionist history. I even wrote about him as a free agent target for a couple of teams over the off season. And it's not a victory lap for me because I, it was so obvious that anyone could have seen it. The stuff he did in Washington was very scalable and translatable to an actual NBA team. And I don't know who's responsible. Is it the rest of the league is his agent? Um, someone needs to be fired. Someone's maybe. Yeah. Is, is, is it, is it wrong that I blame the other general managers more than I blame his agent? Because he, I, look, the, here's the problem with the agent is he let him just sign that deal. Which that one? is not. But which two way contract? There's one. First of all, I'm of the mind that if his agent had done a better job, a two way contract is not what he would end up on. But you need to do a better job of negotiating off of that two way contract. He would have had leverage entering the market this season. So I, I don't know. I am. I'm, I'm just not gonna. If you want to blame the rest of the NBA for the offseason, fine. But I'm not a big fan of agents letting players who have. No, this is like this isn't the first time he's shown material value to an NBA team either. And so to let him wind up on one of these four year team control specials, that just feels like a major failure to me. I guess I think if, if you're Garrison Matthews, right? Like it's, it's really hard to turn down $8 million when you bounced around this so much as, as much as you, you turned have. down $8 million. Right. I'm saying like, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's hard to turn that down. It's hard to turn down the deal he signed. If, if my, you've my been point is, though, is like, he didn't even sign for that much because it's none of it is guaranteed beyond this yeah. season, is it not? Isn't it all under team control? I have to I'll look at the contract details really quick. But so this I, season is 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 all guaranteed. The the, the, the rest of the, the rest of his contract is non guaranteed. Yeah, that is despicable. I'm sorry, that's despicable. <laughs> and the the fourth year is a team option. Like it's just for two point two million. This is that's despicable. I'm sorry. No, you, you have a right to feel that rockets, way. Rockets, I guess, but like they they took advantage of they took. I don't know. Look, I just I'm pro players getting paid, and I understand how these contracts are what help you build winners. But with Garrison Matthews, it's like if this feels like serial behavior now on his stock, what his agent was doing is all I'm getting at because this is not the first time he's shown value to an NBA team, and to let him wind up on one of these deals is just you know maybe he doesn't pan out, and I I look foolish for or sound foolish for saying this now, but from where I'm standing, like this is someone that he entered the free agent market over the summer would have gotten some form of the mid-level, which is even if he got the minimum levels, basically triple what the Rockets are paying him. And, you know, what, like he got one guaranteed season out of this. I find that mind-melting. 
Yeah, it's one of those things where like the Rocket took advantage of a, of a player that was desperate to get his first NBA contract, and you know, like I I, I think your your position is completely defensible. You know, like I think it's fine to be like, yeah, like they he's his agent definitely should have used his leverage, but I mean he was starting, he was starting for the Wizards. It's not like he was. It's not like he became a starter on the Rockets. He was starting for the Wizards. He was starting actual NBA games for the Wizards, and um, they weren't able to get anything past a training camp. I mean, like, so he, he signed the two-way contract and then the the Wizards waived him, right? So the Wizards decided, we're, you know, we've seen enough. We're, we're not going to renew him for this next contract. And the, the Celtics signed him on an Exhibit 10. So it's one of those things where, like, it's... The he, Celtics need shooters, by the way. So they're, yeah. they're stupid for not holding on to him. You know, his, so you're right. There are other NBA teams definitely failed here, no yeah. doubt. His shooting form, by the way, is one of the most unique shooting forms I've ever seen. Like he like leans forward and it's like he puts his right foot forward. It it looks so broken, but it goes in. Like like have you seen him shoot? Like do you have remember? I watched Garrison Matthews Jr. Is what you're asking, or get, why did I call him Jr.? Have I watched Garrison Matthews? Yes, I have. Well, I mean, have you seen? Do you, do you know like what, for, what form I'm talking about? Because it's so bizarre. Like it's like it's it's definitely one of those that sticks in your head after you watch him. It's like, oh my god, how is he making it like this? And it's like you feel thank you're, you're like thankful that no development coach got with him and tried to get him to fix it because a lot a lot of shooting coaches might have saw that as broken, right? And tried to fix it, but he he just kept hitting it at like a 37 percent clip. So it's like. Why would you even try touching that? And it works. Like he's, he he seems to be better on these contested threes than he is on like wide open three pointers. I I haven't checked the, the the actual numbers on this, but like he does seem to like hit like be more confident when there's like a, a defender draped all over him. He's coming around the screen and there's still a defender there and he's still hitting the three pointer. Like it's he's hitting like some really ridiculous shots. And I'm not I'm not at all surprised about the and one statistic. Like it makes sense. Yeah, there, there might be something, too. Maybe he just thinks less if he's coming around a screen and, and he's firing up when it's contested. But he's hit some, like, wild off-the-dribble mm-hmm. ones. And, I, you know, the way he – it's like – I don't know what the word would be to – I don't want to say egregious. Uh, maybe flamboyant is his shooting motion, the way to look at it. It feels like it takes a lot of energy to get off some of the shots mm-hmm. that he does. And it looks like his motion should take longer than it actually does. But, uh, look, kudos – Kudos to him. Moral of the story is my answer would be KJ uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. If you care about that, based off of the ones that you deemed like <laughs> actual prospects, I just think you know. I, yes, we could yeah. look at a player and say it'd be nice if he had a jump shot, but as someone who's kind of a smart cutter, can do things around the rim, and is just like not huge, but you can use him as a big on both ends of the floor. Uh, he's been a better you know rim protector this year, I think, even than he was last season, like helping out there. That's someone who intrigues me a lot long term for this team. If I can't pick Harrison Matthews, well, every t- here's my answer. Every time I watch Josh Christopher, I I feel embarrassed that that like I missed on him as badly as I did. Like I did not have him going in the first round. Like I I he was just not he was just on, not on my radar because I I thought he was like gonna he was probably gonna be selected second round and like watching him defend and be this confident ball handler that seems to thrive finishing through contact and like and like big moments like big moment situations like he seems to be like really really com- even more confident than guys like Jalen Green handling the basketball it, it's I, I did not see that coming like he 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 completely surprised me yeah the I mean you've had to have I haven't seen a ton of him this season but he looks a lot more comfortable on the open floor than I thought he would uh he really does work his ass off on defense mm-hmm. and I think you know there, there's something to that I think he's also comfortable like kind of getting through contact when he gets 
closer to the basket. There's another guy though, who I think his ceiling or just future in the league could be determined by like how his jump shot works. Uh, can mm-hmm. you sk- can it, can he shoot better? Can it be scaled across higher volume? And I feel like the Rockets have a lot of those players on their roster actually. What's crazy is on draft night when when he when Rafael Stone was asked about Josh Christopher, he compared him to Drew Holiday, which is like I I you would never think about that, right? But like the frame the, the the frame makes sense. Like they both have like similar ridiculous long ridiculous long arms, right? They're both like six five, six six in height, and they're they're both like like they're both good ball handlers. But like the, the jump shot, I think I feel like Drew Holiday from memory. I don't remember I don't remember what his percentages were on the Sixers, but from memory, I feel like Drew already had that jump shot down. Do you remember what that was? I do not. Okay, but like but like I. I when he first said that, I was like, "That's that's a dumb comparison." Like, don't don't compare somebody. Don't compare the twenty fourth pick in the NBA draft to Drew Holiday. It's like, it's not smart. But it, it it when you watch him, it's like, okay, like we were completely wrong on this dude. Yeah, I think what Drew kind of always had, even when it wasn't going for him, is he was able to create like really good separation to get his jumper off. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know if that's. I mean, like that's not a staple of Josh Christopher's game right now, but. Like you said, we're talking about a low, like a lower first round pick who's in his first season, who really hasn't played like isn't we're only like a month into him like playing real NBA minutes. So I brought you on today, Dan, because today is our Houston Rockets trade deadline special, and the Rockets have been a pretty boring trade deadline team for the better part of a decade. Uh, pretty much the entire James Harden era, they were a boring trade deadline team. I think their biggest move. Uh, was Clint Capella for Robert Covington two years ago? Like that was probably the real shocker. They basically moved a first round pick every year for someone that would, that that would end up becoming like their fifth starter or their sixth or seventh man, and that's mostly because they were a good team, right? Good teams are generally boring to follow at the deadline. Most of the time, they're going to give up a first rounder for a good role player. Aaron Gordon going to the Nuggets last year is probably as exciting as it gets for title contenders. Uh, but now they're a rebuilding team, and not only that, they're a rebuilding team with like very good role players and decent sized contracts on the roster. Um, even if they end up being a pretty conservative trade deadline, if they end up having like a pretty conservative trade deadline, this there is a world in which they don't. In which they, in which case, you and I get a free pass to just go crazy with this. Uh, let's start here. Uh, what kind of trade deadline do you want Houston to have, and what kind of trade deadline do you think they're ultimately going to have? And I kind of want to go first here because. I think they should go balls to the wall here. Like, really com- complete the teardown of the roster. Trade Christian Wood. Trade Eric Gordon. Trade DJ Augustine if you can. Maybe even Jay Sean Tate if the price is right. So I would probably be hesitant to trade, to trade Tate because of his, con- his contract is just a joke. And they'll be able to go through restricted free agency with him. Like, But I'd listen. You know, like, I, I would listen to offers on Tate. What I think they'll end up doing is play it safe. Uh, because it's easier to talk about this stuff than actually doing it, and you you have to worry about relationships with agents and all that stuff. But I think, I think what they end up when they're what they're going to end up doing is trading Eric Gordon, and I think they'll try and trade D. Augustine, and you know see what they can get for John Wall. They're probably, gonna get, they're probably not going to get anything, but if if they can't move those two, I think those guys are are going to get bought out. Uh, at the trade after the trade deadline, and I think they might be able to grab a second rounder for Augustine, but there's no way they'll be able to trade Wall. Uh, what about you? What do you think they'll end up doing, and what do you think they should do? 
Yeah, look, I would like to see them go balls to the wall, as you called it. I think the gauge for that is, are they willing to listen on Jay Sean Tate? I think you hit it on the head. His contract is a joke, but there's also only one year left on it before he's going to be a regular restricted free agent. Like he's not, this isn't an early bird situation where his max salary is going to be artificially deflated. So I would listen on him. I, I think moving Gordon is like, to me, is the the non-issue. That's just something you do. And even that's if done, Christian yeah. Wood, to me, is just that's still playing it safe because what is the alternative? Either extending or paying Christian Wood in 2023 a bunch of money when he doesn't really fit your timeline. And I mean that in a sense of you're not going to be good enough to pay a player that much money. So those are all givens. I think Jay Sean Tate's the one that you look at and say, oh, okay, like they're really open to doing some stuff. What I think is the even better gauge, though, and I, I agree with what you said. I think they're going to end up playing it safe that Eric Gordon is probably the only one that's guaranteed to get moved or close to guaranteed. Um, I don't even know if they'll find a home for DJ Augustine. I think they need to be willing to take back maybe a contract that someone doesn't want at this point, just to like sort of use his non-guarantee next year. Is I don't think you need like DJ. Like who are you? Who are you get flipping DJ Augustine for that he is worth the seven million you're paying him to be your second or third? Um, guard off, uh, point guard off the bench. But I'm very curious to see just what they're willing to do on Christian Wood. But my more so my point as I ramble here is what are they looking to get? Like, is this a team that really just wants to flip Gordon for a pick or a prospect? Or, and if they're trading Wood, like, do they want a young guy and a pick? Or are they like kind of willing to, you know, poke around and, and see what's available in the, the younger player market where maybe they're more established, already making more money? but they could kind of sort of fit the timeline of your team. And, you know, is that a, you already mentioned him before you even recorded like a De'Aaron Fox. Do they try and get involved with a third and fourth team in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes? Um, could they do something along those lines? Or is this strictly a, we want cheap prospects or just outright first round picks type of teardown? Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see what direction they go in, obviously. Um, kind of like with, with the, with the, Pistons just did before we recorded with Bull Bull, right? Like they traded uh, a second round pick for Bull Bull, which is like a decent gamble, right? Like it's not, it doesn't hurt them. A second round pick is nothing. And like, that's kind of like what you might try to see, what you might see Houston do at the deadline. You know, perhaps Augustine is the contract there that you move, right? Like if you're going to trade like a second round pick or something, maybe Augustine is that, is that salary that gets it done or something, whatever. Like that's, that's, that's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. Um, so I asked you to come up with as many fake trades as you can, and I did the same. And we'll just go back and forth with it. And let's go big first. So as big as you possibly can, you go first. Uh, big. This one is uh, super complicated. I guess would be the way to map it out. So it's a four-team, two-transaction trade. And I guess it's the best way to structure what would Houston end up with at the end of all of this. Um, they would be trading Eric Gordon, and they're getting back. Phoenix's first round pick this year because I have it's owed to Oklahoma City, but I have it going back to Phoenix in a separate transaction so they could trade their 2024 pick. But Houston ends up with Alfred Payton, Dario Sarge, Phoenix's 2022 first rounder, and then Phoenix's 2024 second round pick. Now, I think this might be on the lower end of Eric Gordon's value. What I will say is that getting just Dario Sarge and Alfred Payton back in return for Eric Gordon, since you're dealing with OKC, he was another team involved in this. You're shedding a lot of payroll, not only next year, but this season as well. And I know cap space or that type of relief isn't necessarily important to Houston since they're not going to be a destination, but Dario Sarge is someone, if you do move Christian Wood, maybe you move Daniel Tice down the line, he can play for your team. 
like play some four, play some small ball five, like we've seen in Phoenix. He's out for the rest of this year, probably. So he doesn't ruin your tank. And I'm just a fan of if you're getting a look, it's going to be a late first round pick from Phoenix, but now you're also getting a, a second round pick in 2024 that might post date Chris Paul's time there or at, at uh, you know, best he'll be in his age 38 campaign. Maybe that's just super early. So I don't know if that's enough, if there'll be teams that are willing to beat that, but you and I have gone back and forth on Eric Gordon's trade value a lot. And it feels like any deal that gives you a first round pick and doesn't add to your payroll is at least something that I think they should be willing to consider. That's interesting. So, so you think a fir- Phoenix is late first and a second round pick that postdates Chris Paul, basically. In, in and oh, I have cash there too because um, Houston might have to waive somebody, or there'd have to be more like roster crap going around. So they're getting cash as well. It was look, this was a mega trade, but it was the three team trade. I'll break it down. Was Houston got what I outlined? Oklahoma City's getting Jalen Smith um, and a fake second from Houston since those two teams need to touch, and then Phoenix is the ones getting. Eric Gordon. Uh, and look, if Houston wants, they can get Jalen Smith as part of all this. I just don't know if you need a look. He's been playing well of late. I don't know if you need a look when you're trying to groom Alperen Shangun. We don't know what they're doing with Christian Wood here. Um, so like if you view him as a value asset, that's something that you could absolutely get from from Phoenix if if you want it. So that 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 is that is big. Uh, that's I think a first and a second is not crazy. Obviously, that first is not going to be very good. Uh, you're talking probably the 30th pick in the NBA, but it's it's still a first round pick and it's still a second round pick. And maybe Dario Saros can be a helpful player, as you said. Uh, not bad, not a bad starting place. I, and so, the other thing is, look, I don't think fans should care about this, but you're you're saving. It's not just next year, but this year. Like you're you're saving eight more than eight million dollars off of this year's payroll. And then you're shedding like more than $10 million off of next year's payroll. And so if we know anything about Tillman Fertitta, that's probably something he cares about. Yeah. And you're right. They absolutely don't care because functionally from a basketball care, but I'm saying like to save that much money in a mid season trade is like immediately is very rare. Yeah, it is. It is. It is pretty rare. And you do uh, open up some Avenue to do some interesting stuff at next year's trade deadline. Perhaps you take some salary back uh, because you, because you took away, you, you know, took away some salary this year. Um, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try to top you here. So this is my favorite trade and it's pretty wonky and I've already pitched it to you to make sure it's not too crazy, but it is still pretty crazy. So the Lakers trade Russell Westbrook and their 2023 second round pick to the Cavaliers for Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio. That's the first trade. And then the Lakers turn around and they trade Rubio's expiring contract for, to the Rockets for Eric Gordon and, you know, they add in their 2026 first round pick and they add a top four protection to it. Because I don't think there's any way in hell the Lakers trade that pick just by itself. There's no way. Uh, because they, they're already, they're already oh, a crap load of picks to New Orleans. And, like, they that's probably going to be past LeBron's uh, time there. So I, that that's, that's the trade. So Houston gets Rubio uh, and... The 2026 first round pick that's top four protected from the Lakers. The Rubio the Rubio contract will expire. Obviously, they have they have bird rights. They can retain him in the offseason. Who knows if they will? I think he could be a helpful player for them. So we'll see. Um, and they even if they even if he's not, they could trade him in February again next season. Um, and he's coming off the ACL, so it's going to take Houston's not the worst place for him to actually rehab. His trade value because I think he will actually find some playing time there, uh, especially if VJ Augustine's not going to be there next season. Um, and the the Lakers get, I mean, hold on, let me see. The Lakers get Kevin Love, Eric Gordon, 
and they are only giving up a fir- the 2026 first and, and their 2023 second rounder. And they give up Westbrook, so they don't have to deal with that headache anymore. So they add a crap ton more floor spacing and rebounding. Kev Love's had a bounce back year. Same thing with Eric Gordon. The you know you're you're only giving up a second rounder for Kevin Love. So the contract is bad, but you're giving up a second rounder for him, and he's still a good player. He can space the floor for you. He can still rebound like crazy. The Lakers need help on the rebound in the rebound department, um, and this team just makes a lot more sense around LeBron. I think the t- the Cavs are the toughest selling point here. But let me tell you why they do this. First, they're the sixth seed in the East right now, but they still seem pretty, pretty hesitant to give up real assets to improve the roster. The Ray John Rondo trade kind of tipped to me what they were thinking, right? They don't want to give up anything real for a player at the trade deadline. Like, they still want to be kind of in that sweet spot in, in between rebuilding and trying to contend. You know, they don't they want to split the baby, uh, so to speak. And Ugh. this this trade solves their point guard problem with no Rubio or Sexton for the rest of the season. So they can go into this, the playoffs with an actual point guard in Russell Westbrook. It gets their it gets Kevin Love off their books, which we know they wanted to do, but he didn't want to agree to a buyout. And it also gets you a second round pick. That's there's a pretty fair rebuttal that Westbrook is a disruptor to what they have going on there, especially with Garland really starting to shine. But if it doesn't work out, who cares? He's on an expiring next season, so you have a bunch of different ways to get rid of him. And if he disrupts one season for you, you still got a second-round pick out of it, and you solved your Kevin Love problem. And you and like again, you got an asset out of it. So, so what do you think? I think so. I think the tougher sell might be Houston, just because I I don't think they the Lakers actually give them a pick until twenty twenty seven at the earliest. It's going to be twenty twenty seven or twenty twenty eight, I believe, because New Orleans can defer one of their picks till 2025. And if I'm Raphael Stone, yes, you're getting a first round pick for Eric Gordon, but you have the job stability to just tout that as the value, or it's that and you create a cap space um, for this summer, more cap space for this summer, which we don't know how much value that has for um, Houston. I do. It is interesting. It's funny because Cleveland already traded for a Lakers point guard, but for this season, Russ does make some sense in Cleveland. It's next year when it gets weird because you'll have paid Sexton. He'll be coming back. You have Garland for a season. You could figure it out. His contract is so massive. It's basically the same one John Wall is on that. You can't just say they're going to trade an expiring 47 plus million dollar salary, but you, there are things that you could do there. And then it's really just one season that he's kind of mucking up because this year, again, I think you could actually use him if you're not going to have Rubio around. Um, so I Houston would be the tougher selling point. The Lakers do this in a heartbeat. I also with Cleveland, you kind of alluded to this too. I feel like Kevin Love has just been playing so well and his salary is just so much more manageable than Rust is that they might prefer going into next year with his expiring contract as a, which is I think 28 something million as opposed to Russ's, which is almost $20 million more at that point. So I, I think it's a no brainer for the Lakers. It's fairly, I think it's more justifiable than you gave credit for with the Cavs. It's Houston where I kind of just slip off because that's just a really far asset um, down the line to take in. And so you really have to value the, the flexibility that you're getting this summer by just getting off Eric Gordon's salary in its entirety. So that is, it is a pretty far pick 2027. I didn't, I did not realize it. I, I, so I thought, so 2025, I know they own that, but they can't trade two first round picks back to back. So I assume that 2026 was the first, first rounder they could trade, but you're well, saying New Orleans can have the right to defer 
the, right. their 2024 pick till 2025. So right, like I, I, I understand that now. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so like, so 2027, it is, it is pretty far, but they have traded for future first round, like picks that far into the future before. If you remember in the Westbrook trade, uh, they did, I think that pick was pretty far to the future uh, from Washington, or it might've been the Detroit pick. I don't remember how far into the future, which one it was. It was one of those two picks that was really far to the future, but it's an asset and it's something you could move on down the line. And I don't think you can get uh, a better first rounder out of any Eric Gordon trade, honestly. That's that's a really damn good first rounder. 2027 first. It's top four protected, yes. But if it falls to five or six or seven, that's a damn good pick. It's after LeBron's prime. It's probably at the end, the tail end of you know AD's prime. And who knows if AD's even going to be there at that point. I feel like that's that's a pretty damn good trade. It's and, I and, and Rubio's not bad. Like Rubio, like obviously he's not gonna play for you next year. But having his bird rights, like okay, so let's let's just say he gets whatever the rough equivalent of of a mid level exception here is in Houston. Can he get that anywhere else on the market? Well, that's the other thing is that there's so little cap space that he's probably looking at only mid level money. So they could maybe broker some side and trade scenarios and get an asset that way. I yeah. still think you have to look at it as okay, we want this distant first-round pick for either future trade packages or just to watch the Lakers implode and to, to hold on to it. I think that has, you, that has to be, if you're doing this deal and you're Houston, that has to be the main attraction for you. Otherwise, I don't know why you do it. So, so you, you're the reason you're skeptical about Houston doing this is you're like, oh, Rafael is never going to trade for something that... I, May may benefit them long term, but may not benefit him short term. Over the years, after talking with people and like thinking about it more, I've come to the not even a conclusion, but just the sentiment that I don't think distant first round picks are as valuable as they seem in trade talks, unless they're coming with more imminent first round picks or something else that would give you something that's like the main squeeze of a deal that give you an incentive to do it. Like when you're making the the Harden trade, you just own every control every Brooklyn future first round pick from here until Kingdom Come. So that's fine. But there is so little job security in the NBA at the front office level, at the coaching level as well, as you know, that if you're a GM, you need to be very comfortable in your job security to make a 2027 pick, which is, you know, we're talking five drafts, six drafts away, like however many it is when you actually count it. That's a long, long time. So you have to be very confident that you can either flip it or that you're going to be around to use it in some form, whether it's flip it or, or actually draft someone to accept it as the primary compensation. Like I said, when there's something else or someone else involved, it's a lot easier to do. We saw it in New Orleans a few times with the AD trade, uh, even with the Drew Holiday trade. Like They got some more imminent first-round picks in addition to taking on those those distant selections. And I think you know Russ and Wall was interesting because you know that was a 2024 first-round commitment. Like We're talking about something that's like five or five, like a half a decade away at this point. Yeah, it, it is. Listen, it's it's pretty unlikely because first of all, it is pretty damn crazy. It, it it requires a lot of moving pieces. My argument for Cleveland is I don't think they can ever max. I don't think they'll ever be able to get anything back for Kevin Love, uh, because he's you you just know you never know when he's going to be healthy again. Like he is really like he's looked really damn good this year, and you're getting this is probably your best chance to get an asset back for him. And next season, like yeah, he might be he might be able to help you on the court. But is he really going to be worth whatever you're going to end up paying him? I probably don't think so. And obviously, I don't. I don't need to sell this for the Lakers. The Lakers would do this in a heartbeat because it really cleans up their roster quite significantly. 
I would be curious whether they would do this same trade, but like it's not Russ. Like they're using the or or it's the, not EG or they trade for Harrison Barnes instead of Eric Gordon. Well, no, I meant more so like well Harrison Barnes' salary is impossible for them without Russ, but like they have the none THT if like if Houston's willing to take that offer because it's not there's not a lot of difference there. Maybe you don't want THT on the team and he signed for for longer than Ricky Rubio is, but like if that's the framework of a trade and you're getting that pick back. Um, I wonder if the Lakers still do it against the backdrop of knowing they're not also getting Kevin Love as part of the equation uh, because like they're just more, they're draining all their assets. And look, I think a big part of this, if you're Houston is how valuable you consider Eric Gordon's salary next season. He's playing so good this year. We know the final year, the $20.9 million is not real. And if, if it is, it's because he played out of his mind um, and became an all-star. So do you value him at 19.6 million? You see his trade value going down because if you do, then maybe it's easier to be like, Oh, we'll just take whatever first round pick that we could get. Okay. So I, I'm really interested to see what you're like. So is that Phoenix trade like your floor value for Eric Gordon? Is, is that, is that kind of what you view Eric Gordon's trade value as? I think, I think salary like cheaper salary plus a bottom five first round pick this season. That's my floor for Eric Gordon. You're really is high he, on him. You're, you're much higher on his value than I am, which is crazy considering where we started the season. Uh, look, if you can get him for less, then um, there are going to be so many teams that should trade for him. And there are already so many teams that I think should trade for him. So Yeah, I no, I just, it's, it's crazy how we've done this reversal. Like, like at the start of the season, I was much more higher on him, and now you have become much more higher on him. It's like we've we've switched spots here. Like Apparently we have. Yeah, yeah. I, I listen. I, I, I like that trade for Houston. I think, I think you know the expiring contract is obviously part of the the deal, and you know I think that pick is really damn good. Like I, I just don't think you're gonna get another a better first rounder. But you, you've expressed how you, you're skeptical that you know front offices value those late first rounders as much. But we'll see. Um, give me your next trade. So another Eric Gordon one. You from Dallas? You're getting Willie Cauley Stein. Josh Green, Dwight Powell, and a 2025 first from them. Let's say it's like top three protected on that. And then you're sending back, uh, oh my God, I had this written down, Eric Gordon and someone else that they didn't even want. It was, oh, you know what it was? Because Daniel House was the other guy. But you can, you can, it could be David Nawaba. I think the money still works. Okay. So it's, it's a top 25, it's a top five 2025 protected first from Dallas. And you're giving up, uh, and, and you're getting Dwight Powell and who else? Willie Coley Stein's expiring. Okay. And uh, Josh Green, like a flyer wing prospect that Dallas doesn't use. He's he's kind of a pogo stick. I just I don't know why they don't use him. He really hasn't shown anything, so I'll say that. But a youngish player. Yeah, that's a pretty good that's a, that's another pretty good pick, man. Like that that is um and, and you're getting a flyer on Josh Green. Yeah, yeah, that I I think Houston would do that. Yes. Would would Dallas do that? Because that is quite a lot to give They're up. In love with Dwight Powell for no. It, it's an inexplicable love. Yeah. So they probably wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, but they just don't. They can't trade another first. And I don't know if you're. They're not trade. Jalen Brunson is too good to give up in this deal. And I just don't know what else. You know, I don't think there's any real number of seconds that they can give that would get it done from Houston's perspective. Because, like I said, I think a first round pick. And to me, I view Dwight Powell as 11 million, $11.1 million next year. It's like, that's a salary you need to compensate a team to get off. And so like, maybe, maybe you tighten the protections on 2025 to safeguard yourself against disaster or something. And let's say it's lottery protected at that point. So did you read that article? I think it was Mavs Moneyball. They might've wrote it. It was on um, Brunson and how like, they're in this kind of like impossible scenario where like, he's probably too good to trade 
and he's he's probably going to get overpaid this summer at the same time, right? Because of, of what position, like what he's doing for them right now. Like they're they're in a really crappy situation with Brunson. Beyond, I don't know well, what, you know what gonna... they could have done, and they chose not to do what they could have already extended him, and that number wouldn't have been as scary. So that's yeah. on them. That that number, I I'm really curious to see what it's going to be next summer. Um, yeah, I, I, well, I, let me. I'm skeptical that say, Dallas does this trade. I think Houston does it in a heartbeat. Let, so let me throw out another trade just because it's related to Dallas and Houston again. What is it going to take for a Kristaps for Christian Wood, Eric Gordon swap to go through? Like, do you need a first round pick with that? Kristaps <laughs> has played really well on defense this season. The three pointers not falling, but in theory, he could fit with whatever bit. Like, they, you could play him and Shangun together. Technically, you definitely don't want you know Shangun being the one to defend the fours in that scenario, but. Why didn't um, you start with this? This this is the crazy stuff, man. Like I, I I like this. Okay, so I like this direction, but like Porzingis is so damn good. Like so, like I, like I I'm higher on Porzingis than I would say most people. But so in a vacuum, do you believe Eric Gordon and Christian Wood are better for the Mavs than what Porzingis is what? giving right now? Because P- Christian Wood's not giving them anything comparable defensively to what Porzingis is giving the Mavs right now. Look, so. Eric Gordon might actually beef up their perimeter defense after That's Dorian Finney Smith. Yeah. But they need to diversify their offensive pecking order. And Eric Gordon and Christian Wood are both way more dynamic off the dribble than anyone not named Jalen Brunson or Luka Doncic in Dallas. I think you can make a case that um, maybe Eric Gordon or Christian Wood immediately becomes your second most dynamic offensive player. And that's not without – I just – Jalen Brunson doesn't have like – he's like rim pressure. And I guess Eric Gordon's the same way. But – uh, just Christian Wood is definitely more of an anomaly at his position offensively than I think even Kristaps Porzingis at this point. And that's what you need. I mean, you need to, let's be honest, you need a ton of shit if you're Dallas, but you're just not going to solve that. And if it's not costing you a first round pick to pull off this deal, I'm not saying Kristaps has been bad. Ooh. That's why I proposed it. Well, that see, I would consider, see, oh, I, go ahead. I also do think you need something back if you're Houston, because I think, I mean, what does Houston get from ha- for having Porzingis on the roster? Like what, what, what's the benefit? Look, if you're going to throw in their 20, because he is still just like young ish. I think if you're going to throw in that 2025 first, there's probably going to have to be like a KJ Martin going back to, to Dallas in, in that scenario. That was um, a massive trade. Um, yeah. I mean, so he, he, here's, here's why I'm skeptical because first of all, the Shingun stuff is like, you can, that has to be factored in, in any trade that involves the center coming back. Right. Especially someone as good as Porzingis because Porzingis is good enough to start. On, he's going to start if he were on if you were on the Rockets, and I'm I'm assuming if if they believe Shangun is part of their future, well then they're gonna have to move, they're gonna have to move move Porzingis again down the line, and I'm not sure if, if they're gonna be able to do that. It's a fair point. I just I would consider if it's being attached to a first round pick or something else. Like if it's look if it's Porzingis, Josh Green, a 2025 pick for Wood, Gordon, and KJ Martin. I think those are interest. I think that's an interesting framework to, to look at. And I think Chris Stops can play uh, alongside enough bigs that maybe the the Shangun Porzingis pairing is not as big. It's not going to be as much of a sieve as the Wood Shangun no. pairing. That's for sure. Yeah, it would be better. I, I like it much better because uh, Chris, Chris, not Christian Wood. I'm sorry. Uh, Chris Stops is a much better rim protector than Christian Wood is right now. Um, and you can play Shangun at the four. Uh, it's still bad. Like, don't get me wrong. I still don't like that pairing. Uh, but uh, you know, you don't lose that floor, that floor spacing element that you got with Wood, 
and you still and you add like a defensive element. It's it's, inter- it's interesting. I I like and, I also like Kristaps's fit alongside what would be their you know I guess their two primary ball handlers at the moment. Mm-hmm. I know Dallas is letting him do some more stuff off the dribble, but just like he is more of a maybe I don't like his fit better than Wood, but it's just he can play more of a com- he's more of a complementary offensive player than Wood, who is very much someone that you need to feature at certain for certain stretches every game. Yeah, hold on. I need to look something up. Okay, so Porzingis after this season has oh my god, uh, seventy million dollars left. Is that last year? Yeah, it's a player option. Oh my god, uh, that's a brutal contract. I don't think they can move him next season. So yeah, so you're giving up. You're, well, you're he's get- twenty five. If he's playing like this, Kristaps is eminently movable. He's next, not getting you a star. Next that's season, for sure. next season he's going to be twenty seven, and he's going to have seventy million remaining. Yeah, that's fine. What is wrong? Like, what is wrong with that value relative to what? Like, they're paying Tim Hardaway Jr. like nineteen million, twenty over twenty million dollars in the season. You, so you're you're saying Houston should do that? I, I I here's the thing. So you're you're getting Green back, and you're getting a twenty. What what was the pick you added in that revised trade? Has to be a twenty twenty five pick. That's the first one that they could trade. Okay, so I guess I guess I I yeah, it, it's a complicated trade. I guess you could do it. It's just the on. If you took KJ Martin out of that deal, are you doing it? If you took KJ Martin out of that deal, yeah, I, so I green Kristaps first. I would, cons- I would consider. It. I don't know. Here's the thing. It, it's just it's just the contract. Like I think I, I'm gonna have to sit on that. Like I don't know. I, that, that that's that's a big trade. It made you think. Yeah, it, it's it's a big trade. But you're you are getting significant assets back. I mean, you're getting that 2025 pick, which I think is pretty good. The second best pick I think we've talked about today. Uh, and I think, um, you know, Josh Green's obviously a nice flyer. Uh, I think he's probably the equivalent of like a second round pick. Would you say? Yeah. I mean, he, he's, yeah. In, he's like a mystery box enough to where I think I'd rather have Josh Green than a second round pick in the forties in this year's draft right now. Okay. So he's probably, that like, might even be too spicy. Let's say mid forties. Okay. I'd rather have Josh Green than like a mid forties second round pick. I think I think the KJ Martin part is what probably makes puts it too far over the top, but it does solve a lot of issues for Dallas uh, on the court and off the court. It solves a lot of issues for Houston on the court. It, it does not solve. I mean, it solves one. Obviously, you're moving you're moving Gordon. You're opening up wings, uh, winging minutes for like Josh Christopher and some of your young guys, uh, like and David Nwaba and all, all those players that aren't seeing much playing time right now. So I, I it's interesting. I, I I'm not going to dismiss it. Uh, how about that? We'll, we'll end there. I'm not. I'm not going to dismiss that trade. Um, I'd be c- curious what Dallas would say to that trade, though, because I think it's it's a thinker on Houston's. I know you said address a lot for Dallas, but they might be thinking, oh, how much are we going to have to pay Wood soon? And then Eric Gordon, like after next year, he's gone. Like it. it uh, so I'd be curious to see what they they would think about it. Yeah, you might have to consider. I can't even believe we're talking about this. Like Dallas might have to like consider extending. Gordon or just you know like it's good the, the wood contract may end up being comparable to what what Porzingis is getting now so it's not like you're solving a contract problem there but you are getting a second player back in Gordon and I think to make that deal worth it I think you you'd want some long-term security with Gordon not not too oh, much I would not extend Gordon you would, I would not, extend Hollywood yeah. before single. He's just so old he is he is pretty old so, but like probably like one or two extra years on that I think it would make it worth it uh, I guess depending on the number, sure. Yeah. Um. Okay. I. 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 I I'll just. I'll just put that as TBD. Uh, okay. I'm gonna move on to my next trade. So, 
the Rockets the Rockets give up Christian Wood. They're getting back Moody and Wiseman. I guarantee you Golden State says no to that. I think they want, if they're trading two of their young guys, they want if, someone who could definitely be part of their closing lineup. And I don't think would, because when you look at his defense, that he would be guaranteed to be part of a closing lineup that has to already have Draymond, I would say Clay, Wiggins, and Steph when, when Clay is fully healthy. Draymond makes so much sense next to Wood, though, as like a long-term pairing. Like the, he, he is exactly who you'd, not, who you'd like next to Christian Wood. And Christian Wood spaces the floor well enough to where like that pairing I think makes a lot of sense. But I think when you're talking about like small ball, like like, like when the Warriors play the lineups they want to play in the playoffs, right? Like I think you you'd rather have someone like Moody rather than Wood closing games for you. But Moody has not shown much on court this season for them, and neither has Wiseman, right? So it's 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 more like. I think the reason you'd be hesitant to do that is because you're giving up on Wiseman, really. You're giving up on a number two overall pick. It's a really bad look, but I think it does help them roster-wise. It does help them. I think the issue with them when they're when we're talking about trades, and that's why I like, don't find Golden State any interesting anymore in the market. They never trade. Just, yeah. Well, it's not that they never trade. Yes, it's that they never trade, but they are the title favorite right now. And so I would they say so, can- yeah it's not irrational for them to think, well, why don't we just win the title now while we're developing all these guys? And so I think if they're going to give up two of the three from Moody, Kaminga, and Wiseman, and look, aside from Kaminga showing a lot in the few minutes he's played, but the reason Moody's not playing and the reason once Wiseman's healthy, he really won't be playing is because the Warriors are just so good. And so internally, they're not going to view their lack of minutes as an indictment on their value. And if they want to, if they're going to give up two of them, I think they're going to be more selective. Like it would, if it was Pascal Siakam, Maybe, maybe they're more likely to do it. I don't know that I would. I think Wiseman as the framework for Wood um, is interesting enough to where if I was Golden State, I would consider it. But just from their perspective, I'd be shocked if they gave up two of their youngsters for Wood, especially when they're about to have to, to pay Wood. Even though I do agree with you, I think he's a fantastic fit with Draymond. And I think he really helps the, the non-Steph minutes, which have still been rickety on offense this season. Yeah, it's just like it's an upgrade on, on, on Looney for sure. Right, we both agree that Woods, even even uh, what with what we have against Wood as a defensive player, he he's still better than than Looney in a vacuum, obviously, and I think he's still giving you more on court. You make Looney a pretty damn good backup center, and he's still giving you more value than what you know, obviously Wiseman and Moody are giving you right now. And I guess I just don't see the the ceiling on Moody as 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 high as maybe others do. I think he's going to end up being a fine role player in the NBA. But the type of role player he's going to end up becoming is a pretty valuable role player, right? Like if he, I ends, would, sorry, I ahead. would be interested as to why Houston would want James Wiseman if they don't want Kristaps Porzingis, though. He's even more of a problematic fit next to Shangun or Garuba or literally any of their other bigs. Well, you're I buying, the you're, you're, play, yeah, you're buying low, yeah, you're buying low. But like, so would you? Wouldn't would you do Wiseman for Wood straight up? Like it's Wiseman and another smaller salary for for Wood straight up. Wiseman for Wood straight up. There'd be another salary in there, but it would be someone you're not planning on. You know, it'd be one of their minimum guys, like a Bielita or a, I guess they're not trading Iggy. You know, the problem is, is that you look at their like smaller contracts and they're playing and needing all of these guys. So it almost have to be Moody. I just don't know. I think, you know, are you giving them KJ? Would you do it if you're giving back KJ Martin? And that if you're giving back as well? KJ Martin? 
Yeah. If it's Moody and, yeah. and Wiseman for Martin. Yeah. I mean, I think Golden State would either want more or just not want to give up that much for Christian Wood. Yeah. I, I, I think, I, I think I like that trade a lot. I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's a terrible, like PR wise, it looks really bad. Cause obviously that, that was the LaMelo ball draft. Right. And if you just missed out on LaMelo ball and, um, and Anthony, I'm sorry, Anthony Edwards, like you, you just, and you came out of it with like, okay, Christian Wood, like that's, I mean, Christian Wood's a good player, but like, it's like, it looks really bad. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess it would. Look, I mean, Christian Wood is good, so I don't know that it looks that bad, but yeah. it, it'd definitely be something to consider. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I, you and I probably don't care as much about the PR element, but I think it is a factor when we talk about these trades. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah, I, 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 I just I love that trade. I don't know. I just I, I keep looking at it. I'm like, if these GM, if these front offices didn't have egos, if they didn't care about how they looked, if they if if they if they just made the best for not the made the best basketball decisions for themselves. I think it's a win-win on both sides, but I understand why they may not want to give up on Wiseman if they really internally believe that he can become much more than what Wood is right now. I guess it's my turn. Yeah. So it's Christian Wood goes to Charlotte for Kelly Oubre Jr., James book night. And I think it is a, what year is it? Let's say, uh, let's say a 2020, Let's just say two second round picks. James Booknight, two second round picks, and Kelly Oubre Jr. for Christian Wood. Yeah, you've taken like two of my trades and made them better. Um, like I, I had, I had some version of the Phoenix trade on there, and I had a Charlotte trade in there. So what was it? It was, it was uh, Booknight and who else? Uh, Booknight and Kelly Oubre Jr. Who is actually playing well this season, but he has a non guaranteed salary. It's like half, only five million guaranteed for next year, and then two second round picks. I don't think Oof. they can't trade a first until 2024 yeah. i just don't think you're getting book night they're not playing him because they have so many good perimeter players on their team but like you're not getting the what was he sixth seventh this year's draft if you're not getting that plus another first for for christian wood i'd be floored if, if they did we so it's it's plus another it's two second rounders you're getting back basically you're getting you're getting book yeah they have a bunch two... of seconds which is why i didn't really like pin like they could give you a 2022 second yeah. um they can give you. Oh no, they can't give you. So let's say, uh, let's actually a twenty twenty three second and a twenty twenty four second. A twenty twenty three second and a twenty twenty four second. Yeah, I mean, they, they they're both gonna suck. I mean, they're, they're not gonna suck. They're gonna be okay, right? Like, like it's not like Charlotte. No, they're gonna come from. They're actually gonna come from Boston because Charlotte's already traded away their second. Oh, they're coming from Boston. Okay, I mean, there's well, the chance that Boston that's still is similar actually not value. that good. Yeah, they're still that's similar. Probably value, similar, but Boston yeah. is is on the precipice of imploding if they haven't imploded already. Yeah, or they're in the the precipice of exploding if they make a major trade. You know, if they if they can find a way to trade for a, a star player here, I don't I don't think they will. But you know, I I, I think it ends up being status quo, um, and those trade and those picks end up being similar value in terms of Charlotte and Boston second rounders. So okay, um, two second rounders coming from Boston, uh, and James Booknight for Christian Wood. <sighs> See, like if you had proposed this trade to me last year. I would have thought it was a joke, right, for, for Christian Wood because he had so much more value last year. And we, we you and I were talking, we were, we were way ahead of this. We were talking about trading Christian Wood for Houston, like at last year's trade deadline. And we right. were talking about like the trade, the 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 trade that uh, we talked about was that three first rounders from Boston and Romeo Langford and Tristan Thompson. So from from that point, his value has dropped pretty precipitously, in that he hasn't grown as a player much and he's obviously had that, that off court issue. Um, you know, he didn't, he didn't, he refused to sub in for a game. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I think that may be what his market value is, unfortunately. I don't know if I would do it. I think I probably would, ha- would have to do it because I don't see any other trade at, on the market that's going to be end up being better uh, because Book Knight is an interesting prospect. It's just, you know, it, it's always going to be less interesting when you drive the pick off the lot, right? And that's kind of what it is. They could. The other framework they could do is Ubre, Kai Jones, and then you're getting a, a protected first in 2024. Where was he drafted? Uh, I think he was 18th. Was he 16th or 18th? I can't remember the exact number. They've not been playing him, but they also like to bring along their their rookies a little bit more slowly. We saw that with Lamelo last year to start the season, but that would be a way, I guess, of getting that sort of mystery box pick. But you know, you yeah. also don't know when that pick is going to convey because Charlotte owes like you Charlotte. Oh, the protections on the Charlotte to New York pick this year are just absurd. I can't believe New York did that trade still, but. It's basically it's top 18 protected this year, top 16 in 2023, top 14 in 2024, and then lottery protected in 2025. So it technically is feasible if Charlotte, unless Charlotte like kind of pops that you're not, it's not conveying right away. I think you get it in 2024 because I think, or 2025 at the, you know, the latest, I think you would get it around there, but that would be the way of adding mystery appeal to it. I guess I just, if you're Charlotte, for a guy that's going to hit free agency next summer and doesn't do anything to address your defensive issues, um, Kai Jones at a first is actually like fairly steep. But that would be the other way of like that could be Houston's counter. But then you're getting into you know Book Knight and Jalen Green kind of makes sense, but Kai Jones and Al Shangoon and Usman like having all those guys doesn't necessarily make sense. No, I liked the first trade better for Houston. Like I, I liked the book the Book Knight package better, uh, even though it, it sounds worse on paper. I think it makes more sense, and it's, I think it ends up being more valuable um, because it just I just I, I was higher on Book Knight. Like I had him as a top ten pick uh, in this year's draft, and so I think you're getting back the the rough equivalent of a top ten pick in a pretty good draft class and two second rounders. Um, and we've we've seen what Houston can do with two second rounders, right? They we've seen them draft pretty well in that area. So I, I'd say that I would probably take the Book Knight package. I'd be reluctant because it's it's a, I mean. It, it's a really again. If if you cared about how how things look, this is this is one of those trades where it looks bad, but it it is I would say fair value. And I think here's the thing with Charlotte: can they get a better center? I think they might be able to. Like if Sabonis or Turner are really on the market, can they really swoop in and get those guys? Like I think they they probably have more assets. Uh, they'd probably be willing to forfeit more assets for someone like Sabonis than they would for Wood, right? Yeah. I'd probably prefer Wood if I'm Charlotte than Sabonis, to be honest with you. But Turner, for sure, if that's someone they're looking at. Maybe even consider okay, I see. more so, Sean Holmes and Wood. Too. Is, the, is the logic there you'd like a pick-and-roll partner for LaMelo Ball? I just why why take the ball out of LaMelo's hands? Especially, like, you also have Gordon Hayward there already, and so you don't want to add, like, too many different, like, I don't want to say ball dominant because I don't think Gordon Hayward is necessarily ball dominant, but Sabonis is going to be at his best when you can run a lot of stuff through him. And I don't know that, you know, we've seen Charlotte do it a little bit with Mason Plumlee, but I just don't know that they're built to necessarily go that direction. Yeah. And I, I, I consider Miles Turner to be kind of like a sleeping giant. Like I think he's much better than what he's, he's being asked to do in Indiana. Like I think if a trade, if a team trades for him right now, I think they're going to get, they're going to be, a lot of people are going to be surprised at how do how good that dude is. His usage yeah, just, is, people just don't under. I proposed in something I wrote. It was the Grizzlies were sending Zaire Williams, and then two first round picks that were they're not their own, and they're going to end up being in the the low twenties for Miles Turner. Um, and there was salary involved too, and they just 
the reaction was that's way too much for Miles Turner. And it's like, no, it's not. Miles Turner is, transforms your defense by himself. My trade. And the Clippers give up to Eric Bledsoe and two second rounders, and the Rockets give up Eric Gordon. There's no way the Rockets should do that deal. We talked about this on the side already. They got it. If they're taking seconds, I need three or four right now. I'm doing that in a heartbeat if I'm the Clippers. But one of them better be that Detroit second that they own. They might even own two Detroit seconds at this point. Or maybe they traded a couple of them already. I can't remember. But uh, they're need throwing another second round pick there. I know you told me three is too many, but uh, and then you're getting into like the 2030s, I think, with the the second round picks at this point, but that Detroit 2025 second, and then you could take the Clippers second this year, since they might actually be like low key kind of okay. Uh, and then another second, it's just, I, it, it, that I don't, Eric, Eric, uh, Eric Gordon has been so good that if I'm the Clippers, I'm still doing that. If it's three seconds and Eric, so yeah, I, I, I consider that to be the floor value for Eric Gordon. Like I, I think if that's uh, the floor value for Eric Gordon. I think every team in the NBA for Eric Gordon. Yeah, I, I guess like yeah. I mean, I that's kind of why I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are in, are calling about him. I think I just think his market is like pretty. Like, he's affordable. I, I I don't think he's as expensive as maybe you're making him out to be. I think the Rockets would be willing to take a first rounder back for him or two good seconds. And I think the Clippers have a lot of second rounders. And I think they could offer. They could they could make. You know, a pretty compelling package for not a compelling, but like good enough to where like you can fall back on it if you feel like you're not getting that first rounder at the trade deadline. And I guess from their perspective, they could be looking at it as, oh, we're going to get to waive Eric Bledsoe for three point nine million, whereas Eric Gordon is guaranteed right. nineteen point something next year. What does that do to our tax bill? But he is a perfect fit alongside Kawhi and Paul George. Well, they don't have a tax bill. It, it, it helps their uh, salary for sure, though. Like it, it helps like. Um, it definitely helps. Like, are oh, you talking about the Clippers? Yeah, I'm talking about the Clippers. Oh, okay, okay, okay. They're talking... certainly gonna have a tax bill. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought you were talking about the Rockets. Um, yeah, for sure. No. Yeah, yeah. Like the it it they Eric Gordon is definitely more expensive than than Eric Bledsoe. The Rockets, but, and, but he's he's also though, much like, better. Like he's also right. he also helps them become like a much more uh, formidable but, title contender. Especially if, if if Kawhi comes back this season. Which I don't think he will, but if but if he if he comes back like if Chris Haynes reporting is like like is he, I'm sure he's probably correct if he comes back like towards the end of the season and if he can get back to eighty five percent I think that's where I'm skeptical if he can get back to eighty five percent Kawhi and you have Eric Gordon in hand and you have Eric Gordon, um, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard and the rest of that Clippers roster which is pretty damn good, like that's a damn good team in the Western Conference that can make some noise I guess. The, the Clippers really just have to maintain a, a, a plan seed. Like they, they have to make sure they can, you know, win the plan tournament and stay in that eight seed and stay in the playoffs. Because I, I, I like, I really like their roster. I, I haven't given up on it. I've, I've been a Clippers. I, I, I've been a fan of that team construct for a couple of years now. I just think they need more guard help. And I think this helps them. Yeah. I, I would do it if I were them to be clear, but just as like, we're taking into account like the optics that front offices would make moves. I do think the, they could look at it as okay. We waive Eric Bledsoe for four million, or do we pay like the extra fifteen something million for Eric Gordon? Is actually going to end up costing them like you know forty something million in taxes or whatever it ends up being in total. So that would be part of the calculus. I would look again. I would absolutely do it because while Eric Bledsoe's played better for them of late, he's still not the answer from their point of attack. And if that's what they're worried about, you know, Eric Gordon doesn't address that either. But he puts pressure on the rim, which is something they don't do a ton. And then there's the the outside shooting element, and he's someone who's not going to. Yeah, um, he's not going to torpedo your defense by any stretch. 
you, people are going to be surprised on like what you, what you think of Eric Gordon's trade value when I post this podcast. One I of think- us is good. If he does get moved, it'll be a night. Watch it just be like smack dab in the middle of what each of us has said. So it'll be what, like like a first the and number a thirty pick. Like it'll yeah, it'll just be like the number thirty pick or something, whatever. But uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 for sure. Like, I, I, I think I, we're we're pretty divergent right now. Like, we've we've essentially switched spots from where we were at the trade deadline on Eric Gordon's trade value. I, 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 I guess I've still been pretty consistent, and I think he's worth a first. But I think you've gone a step further than that, which is he's worth a very good first. Uh, or I didn't say very good. I'm just I wouldn't trade him for less than a first. It's just my like we're going to trade him for those seconds where it's like if you got LA second. Um, in this year, and then you got the Detroit 2025 second, and that's enough for you to get it done. That's just not enough. For, I wouldn't even consider it. I just wouldn't consider it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, this is interesting. So, like, I I think we came up with some pretty compelling ideas here. I think we we found a pretty strong source of disagreement in terms of Eric Gordon's trade value. Um. One more thing I'd add in. Like, I I never could construct. I tried my hardest. I never could construct a a team, a trade where the Rockets could get in on the Ben, ben Simmons sweepstakes that made sense. Like it, it would always end up being like a three teamer. And if it was a three teamer, then that third team would just, it just makes more sense for that third team to go at it, go ahead and go trade for Ben Simmons. Right. Like I, yeah, it, it, sure. I, I, I kept coming, I kept running into that roadblock, but I think Houston really has to try their hardest to get in on the sweepstake, no matter what, even if they're just a facilitating team, there's so much to be gained by being in these conversations because they have a lot of contracts to move and they can get, you know, a pretty decent haul as if you're going to be involved in the trade docs. Yeah. And look, they have like, that's the value of having a contract like Eric Gordon's too, is because you can value and would, it a lot right. of different ways. Yeah. And would like if you can combine the salary and you can get into the Simmons talks and you can be a facilitator. But I tried. I kept, I kept trying to, you know, I kept running into roadblocks. I couldn't find the trade that made sense. No, I, I'm totally with you because at this point, and we talked about it with Christian Wood's value is what are those two worth together in a vacuum? And it's like, are you getting a team to give up a total of two first round picks? Are you sending like, what are you, even if you're sending them to multiple teams to rally the picks to get involved, are they worth between them what, two first round picks? And that's just like, you know, that's not exactly a ton. And that's why you go know, Christian Woods value is probably all over the place after last season, just looking at his contract, some of the defensive issues he's had this season as well. So it's, I'm with you where it's tough to nothing. I haven't given a ton of thought to it, but nothing springs to mind where it's like, Oh, it makes sense where they can give up these guys as um, they Houston gets Ben Simmons. And then that team, you know, gives up stuff to help because it's that team just go out and get Ben Simmons. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm thinking for Houston in terms of going completely nuclear. If they wanted to just go all out, having a trade where both of those guys are involved are interesting. But it probably makes more sense, as we discussed, as we were talking in this podcast, to break them up. You know, have have trades separate. Have those two traded separately in different deals. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much money between them two. It's yeah. almost it's over $30 million, which is not, you know, monstrous, but it's not insubstantial either. Yeah, it's it's just that rare situation where like both those contracts in a vacuum, like I mean, like if you take a one by one, they're not bad. Like the Christian Wood contract is not is very good. The Eric Gordon contract is fair, right? Like and when you combine them, it's like it's it's hard to match, but when you get them back, it's easier to, you can trade them again, right? Like like it's not like getting another forty million dollars in salary back from another team, like like, like John Wall. It's not like trading John Wall where it's like you, if you trade him to another team, that team cannot move John Wall again. Where like you can very easily move Eric Gordon and Christian Wood again. Yeah, yeah. With them, it's more of an issue of permanence because you're giving yourself a year to make that decision or right. to pay them both again. And I think Christian Wood, 
becomes more problematic in that scenario than Eric Gordon, just because he's older, his market will be finite. And even what we know about bigs, Christian Wood is just his, his, for all his problems, like his offensive game is very dynamic even today for the center position. So did we come up with any teams for Eric Gordon, any other teams for Eric Gordon or Christian Wood? Like, is that it? Is that, is that, well, we that's the problem most- with Christian Wood, by the way, is just like, there aren't a lot of no brainer destinations and even no, ones that you like, they just don't have the assets to go out and get him. Like, uh, you know, he'd make a lot of sense in the, on the Clippers, but the Clippers don't have anything to trade for him. Or Boston, so, but like Boston, they they already extended Robert Williams the third, and it's just like yeah. I I get it. Christian was more dynamic, but like I'd probably rather have Robert Williams the third on his long term contract than what I got to pay. If you're asking about just this season, yeah, I'd rather have Christian Wood, but like even for them, that makes it tough. Are you giving up Robert Williams as part of that deal? So it's very you know that's a struggle there. It would be be really interesting if Chicago went out and traded for Christian Woods because Vooch has been so all over the place this season. I'd rather have Vooch, I think, because Vooch is how 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 long does Vooch's contract extend into? Like, is it uh, next year is the final year? They're both going to be expirings next year. Okay, but so- Vooch is definitely more reliable, like in on defense, which is not necessarily saying a ton. Dallas makes sense for Christian Wood. He could play with KP. Like, how do you get Christian Wood without giving up Porzingis? I mean, I laid out the deal of. Is it? Are you doing Josh Green in a first round pick plus salary for Christian Wood? Uh, you think those two can play together? Oh, Christian Wood and Kristaps, yeah. Look, they're playing. They're playing Dwight Powell <laughs> with Kristaps Porzingis at points. Like it's Christian Wood can play with Kristaps Porzingis. I'm not saying it's ideal, but they and I know Christian Wood is not like this lob threat, which is what they like to pair Porzingis with. But no, he is he a lob a, threat. He is a lob he's, threat. He, he's not the he's not like the rim running type lob threat. Is what I mean. Like oh, the, I, I, he can be. Are you going to use him as Rudy Gobert? I don't know why I'm cursing so much on this podcast, but like you're not going to use him as that type of a, that's who they want to pair Kristaps Porzingis with is like this very vertical rim diving big. And I think Christian Wood, even if he can do that, the crux of his game is spacing the floor and his actual floor game, at least to me is what's always appealed me most about him. Yeah, I just I just don't believe in him as a power forward. I, I never have. I I, no, I well, Christoph, they treated the I guess what they treat Kristaps as the power forward when he plays with another big. Like he is the floor spacer and they want a rim runner next to him. I'm saying because Christian Wood has an actual floor game where he can put the ball on the floor, um, they can mix and match. And then defensively, you're just gonna have to figure it out because you're not good on defense already. And um, but again, I don't know, you know, I wouldn't invest a resource in getting another big if I'm Dallas, but like that's another potential team to where I think Wood could, he definitely, to me, he definitely without question makes sense for that team on offense with, even with Chris stops there. I will say that. Man, this podcast has me thinking, man. Like I, I, there, there's so many things they can do. Like I, I knew it was going to be like this. Like I, this is why I wanted to have you on because you have a pretty clear outlook on the rest of the league. Like they can, they have so much, like these contracts are not bad. Like the only contract that they have on the roster that's bad is John Wall and everybody else is, they could- is yeah, and I don't even know, like, what would be the act? Like, I can't even envision a scenario in which John Wall is traded. Like, what are the circumstances? Because there is no, just because I know his deal is shorter term, but like, none of the really longer contracts are that bad. And even the ones that are, like, the, the Knicks shouldn't want to pay Evan Fournier this year and then two more guaranteed seasons. But like, Aaron, Aaron, uh, excuse me, Eric, Evan Fournier's three guaranteed seasons amount to basically John Paul's next season salary. Yeah. And it's just the scale of what he's making is just so huge. The the only one that makes I mean I, I don't I don't even think not even that it. Clippers trade anymore well, makes sense. It's, it's right? not even because the Clippers Luke trade. has played so well. It's, like the, Lake, Bledsoe, it's the Lakers trade that I was gonna I was gonna mention. It was gonna be like the that's the only one that it's like okay 
you see, I, I never bought the Clippers trade. I, I always threw it in there when I would write about destinations for John Wall, but I never really believed in it. I never believed the Clippers would do that. I didn't, uh, well, I didn't believe that anyone wanted John Wall. I don't even think the Lakers trade makes sense. Russ has been, you know, what are you getting from John Wall? I'd rather have Russ than John Wall. I rather I think John I think Russ is better than John Wall. Like he is that's bad my as, point. It's so yeah. like how is that even? What is the Lakers trade you're coming up with for John Wall then that you said? I, no, I mean that that was the trade. Like that that was the only one that made sense. But the only the only problem is I don't believe like a lot of people do believe that that John Wall is better would be better for the Lakers. Like I'd, I'd rather going into the playoffs. I'd rather have Russ is as 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 flawed as he is. As you know, it, I, I guess the the idea there is oh well. He fits better next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, right? He's he's a slightly better shooter and he's a slightly better defender. But again, this is a guy that's coming off two serious injuries. I didn't really see much from from him defensively last year. He wasn't he wasn't horrendous, but he wasn't great. Um, and offensively, he had a pretty high usage rate. So it's not like I'm not sure how much of a usage drop that is. Yeah, I I, I guess we're at the point where like they are not. I would be shocked if John Wall gets traded and it doesn't involve Houston giving up stuff. Which, 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 which means they're not going to do it, which means they're not going to do it. Right. Which is like, which is like why I think this ultimately ends up, you know, in a buyout, which I, I, all, all the only question remaining there is like, when does the buyout happen? And that's a different, that's a separate conversation. We're getting off track, but the point is the Rockets have a bunch of options other than John wall to do some interesting stuff at the trade deadline, especially because like, when you look at the seller's market, it's pretty small. You're talking like, there's like three other sellers right now. You know, maybe the Pelicans join in. Maybe the, the Pelicans become a seller, and then they and then the market becomes more competitive. But like, I think the Rockets are in a pretty favorable position to the deadline to at least get one first round pick back. And I think you know, if you're a Rockets fan, like it should be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. And they are, I think, one of the few, like, very clear sellers. Yeah. Well, Dan, I wasted too much of your time here, but I knew I knew it was going to be a long podcast. Like, I I wanted it to be a long podcast because because of how much how much they can do and how and how how creative like we I th- I thought we both got pretty creative with our trades, especially the two the two transaction trades. Those are always fun when you when you do one trade then you do another trade. Those are like really fun to construct and nobody ever sees it coming on face value. It's which is why like um I I wanted to have you on cuz I knew you'd come up with some creative stuff. Um, where can we follow your work and, and follow you on social media? Yeah, you just follow my work. Um, I'm always, or not always, but I'll promote it on Twitter. I'm at Dan Valley, F-A-V-A-L-E. And definitely check out my own podcast, the, the Hardwood Knox podcast, spelled exactly as it sounds. Yeah, and there and there's uh, an article that Dan wrote recently about what player uh, every team in the NBA should move at the trade deadline. I thought that was fascinating because there, you know, there's some names in there that I think fan bases would look at and gasp, right? Like, Really, the, like we're gonna trade this player, and like that's the way I think about team building. Like that, like that's like I think if you're a rebuilding team, like get crazy because like I don't think anyone's untouchable. I I, I think that's how I always view team building. I think I'm from the Sam Hinky, Daryl Morey school of thought. Like I think you should, you know, if you're not maximizing your chance to get a superstar, what the hell are you doing? You know, why are you wasting your time? And I think Dan thinks similarly. Yeah, there was look there. Are, I try to be realistic, but there are also some situations where it's like. I think it's okay to, I put it when I was writing about Julius Randle within it, hard truths are very difficult to verbalize and to, to actually put down and publish because you don't want to seem like you're being contrarian on purpose, but they still need to be said. And so I try to do that in a lot of situations. Yeah. The Randall one was, was really like, and, and you put in, I think you put in Wiseman in there too for the Warriors, which I was like really happy about that. She included that. Like, I think like those, those are the kinds of like, 
like the fan base would be like, oh my god, like why would we possibly, why would we even fathom that kind of a trade? But like that's that's how I, that's how I like to think about this stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. It's a fascinating part of the of the business. Yeah, for sure. All right, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give us five stars if you enjoyed the show. Follow me on Twitter at Somali NBA. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Red Nation Oops. Follow follow Dan on Twitter and read his work at Bleacher Report. All right, guys. Good night. <laughs>